Okay, it was a very, very uh, promising finale to the Padres' road trip. Ended up being our winning road trip after they took the series against the Marlins. One of the more encouraging offensive performances we've seen in a little while. Very good Fernando Tatis Jr. game. Very good performances with runners in scoring position. Good situational hitting. Lots of stuff we've been wanting to see out of the Padres. And uh, we probably won't spend that much time talking about it in this particular episode. That's because we have a buddy of ours, one of our favorite guests on to talk about what's going on in the minor league universe that of course being john conniff of mad friars very much looking forward to picking his brain and and very good timing given that there was one very notable uh performance and arrival of sorts um with one marquee name now in the padre system so excited to chat with john uh, and i'm sure we'll talk about the padres and uh, juan soto and valley sports and tv and streaming and all types of different things but uh excited to do kind of a mid-season Padres minor league report. So that'll be the focus of this episode. Appreciate you listening to the On Fire podcast. Appreciate OG's the sponsor of the On Fire podcast. Download, subscribe, sign up for the OG's app. Eat pizza, drink beer, earn rewards. Appreciate OG's and all they do for the On Fire podcast. Always got new specials, new beers that they're dropping, great menu, and a wonderful place. If you're going to watch a ball game, what do we have going on right now? We, of course, got the NBA Finals, got the U.S. Open coming up, obviously baseball season, Padres. Hopefully they've changed all the TVs in the various Bally's or Bally's. Uh, OG's locations to to be able to watch the Padres now. Uh, so, again, shout out to OG's and all they do for us and the On Fire podcast. What's going on? Great to be with you. As always, it is the On Fire Podcast brought to you by NBC7. No Derek Togerson for this particular episode, um, but uh, very much looking forward to uh, the conversation that we're about to have. And uh, thanks to all for uh, checking out the On Fire Podcast. No matter what your platform of choice is, it's available to you, uh, whether and, you know the old school audio only podcast format uh it's there for you in your podcast app of choice but also on uh, youtube nbc7 page there's an on fire pod uh, playlist i should say um so be sure to check out that and and if you're watching us live on youtube get your questions get your comments in for john and we'll be sure to to pepper him with those of course there's the nbc san diego streaming channel on your roku device uh we're there we're on the nbc7 uh, on-demand app, NBC7.com, and of course, in your podcast app. So whatever your platform of choice, very much appreciate you spending time with us. And without further ado, there he is, John Conniff. Is it hey. fair to say the elder statesman of the Mad Friars crew? I, I know you get a lot of flack, so I don't want to start with that necessarily. But um, Well, the guys on the side will appreciate you starting with that. I mean, <laughs> I like sure that quite a bit. I mean, <laughs> elder statesman is one of the really nicer phrases that they, they use. I mean, usually every year when uh, I put somebody a little higher than the rest of the guys in our individual <laughs> list, you know, Kevin Charity has a son's David J an email CCing me going, maybe it's time to take the keys away from grandpa on ranking. So I mean, <laughs> usually, well, that's, that's how it warms up. Wasn't this one of the, <laughs> If uh, if I'm not mistaken, when we spoke to you earlier, um, I'm guessing before the season, I forget exactly when it was, but wasn't this one of the more one of the years where people were kind of more or less on the same line in terms of the prospects? I mean, there was kind of a clear number one with Merrill, um, but I yeah. seem to recall I might be mistaken that there was maybe a little less um, consternation and strife amongst you guys as you put together the the rankings. Do I have that right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we had the same rankings. I think Baseball America and MLB Pipeline did, and especially after Ethan Salas came into the system. And I see the title on this. I mean, uh, we're gonna have to get to Salas pretty quick so people aren't fast forwarding. <laughs> but yeah, those were easy. The top three was Merrill, uh, Dylan Lesko, who's still in the desert right now, who 
from the reports that we've gotten, it's been, you know, throwing off the mound in the mid nineties. So he should be an ACL this year. He was the top prep pitcher in the draft. Padres kind of made a little bit of a gamble. Everything I talked to him in the spring, he seems pretty well good to go. And of course, Ethan Salas has uh, <clears throat> lit up our, uh, our, our, our views and our mentions mm-hmm. and everything. So we can, we can talk to him. I think I'm, I did talk to him in the spring and, uh, He's done a few more interviews, but I know you've talked to him. We chatted about that on a text, and he's really, I mean, as someone who has a teenager, it's hard to believe this guy's 16 years old. Yeah, certainly. I wasn't there the day that he spoke, but I've, I've been able to kind of listen to some of that interview mm-hmm. and, and um, just kind of observe from a distance a little bit. And um, I mean, you mentioned the title. That's a good thing. I mean people know we're going to talk about Salas at some point. So oh, that's, that's actually kind of a TV thing you can tease. Like that's the tease. We'll get to it eventually, whether or not we start with it. Uh, kind of that's, that's how you can juice the views a little bit because you want to keep them hanging on for a little bit longer. So actually the smart thing to do would be to wait until the very end to talk about Ethan Salas so that people kind of have to stay locked in. But we, we won't do that. I mean, you kind of led right into it. Right. And uh, you had hit me up a couple weeks ago about, hey, you know, n- might be a good time to, to chat. And then, you know, uh, Things happened this week that made it even more pressing, and and he gets called up to Elsinore, and and uh, that very same night, two hits, a walk, scores a run, and now back to back two hit performances, I believe Tuesday and Wednesday, if I have that right, uh, as we record here on Thursday. Um, and I, I read your piece on Mad Friars. Uh, if you're not already subscribing to Mad Friars, subscribe to Mad Friars, and. I, th- I thought that was a really great interview. And one thing that now kind of in hindsight, cause this was, I think in the end of March that you posted right. that, um, you know, in, in discussing about his progression, uh, a line that I thought was, was interesting now was, you know, we're going to do what's best for him and, and all that, um, you know, Lake Elsinore isn't like the top priority. Like we don't go into it thinking like, that's not necessarily one of the factors. Like we got to get this guy to Lake Elsinore. It, it read as like when he's absolutely ready, we will do this. We're not going to force it. You know, we're, we're looking, we're looking out for the kid. And then when things are right, but like just kind of checking off that box, like, Hey, we got to get him here at this point. That's not necessarily how they go about their business. Am I reading that right? And now in hindsight that he's there, it's like, okay, he's, he's definitely there for a reason. And that's, that's kind of shown. Yeah. That's how I kind of took it. The other line I, I liked a lot. And I think it was by, Brian Watley, who's the catching coordinator, you know, he said, it's not like they have any doubts that he mm. can handle what's going on. <laughs> and I saw him, you know, for four days out there and he was running with the low A group. And he was, he was up there with Samuel Zavala's the best hitter that I saw. And I guess the thing that really, <clears throat> really was impressive to me was one, you could see him going through all these drills and we could see him from the front because you know whenever we're watching the game we're always kind of seeing behind the catcher or a tv view you can get really close and you could see just how smooth his hands were and just receiving the ball and 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 what he was doing and how he was doing that and that surprised me a little bit but not as much what got to me was just watching the quality of his at bats in those games the first game i saw him with the two strikes he flared one out to left field just a real nice piece of hitting. And then the next day was what really got to me was the first plate appearance he comes up, you know, he takes about eight pitches, fouls them off. And then on a strike, then on the, gets a called third strike with a pitch that looked closer to Yuma than it looked like for a strike, but he just (laughs) got his head, went back to the dugout. Next at bat comes up, same situation with a one and two count, same pitch comes. He takes it because he knows what his strike zone is. And this mm. time, the umpire called it a ball. Waited a couple more pitches, fouled one off, then doubled one off the right field wall. Next, you know, next batter, next at plate appearance comes up, doesn't take the bat off his shoulder. Pitcher throws a beautiful strike, you know, low in the corner, two and oh count, right where, and he had the, you know, intelligence to realize I can't do anything with that pitch, mm. taking that for a strike takes two more balls and just trots down. He just has a really advanced understanding. And as a bunch of Padre, there was a quite a bit of difference on the Padres in spring training about when they were going to send them out. I mean, there, there wasn't any doubt. Some guys were going like right now. Other ones were waiting. Some said they should go to ACL. ACL. He had a bit of 
a minor shoulder hitch, I think, or he might have even gone out about a couple of weeks earlier. They want to make sure he got in the right routines and all this. But the line that kind of got to me, and I didn't really put that in the article, but as someone said, you know, this is not, and he said, there's no offense to an American kid or anything. This is not some kid who's playing a cathedral Catholic that's played a lot of travel ball and is really good. He's been in a very good academy since he's 12 years old. You know, his father played professional baseball. Mm. His brother's a top prospect. His younger brother just has an agreement or whatever they call it. He's going to sign with the Marlins in about a couple months. His uncle played. So he's been doing this for about the past four years. And then when I interviewed him, and you'd get a kick out of this because you interview guys too. I'm watching him and I go up to him and I say, hey, when you get done with your workout, he's just got done catching bullpens. You got a chance to talk for about maybe 10 minutes. He goes, hey, I'm fine right now. Why don't we just chat? I go, okay. Isn't that nice? Like, so refreshing. Out, interview <laughs> again. And he just fluent in English. English is his first language because he was born in Florida. He lived there until he was about six. You know, he's doing chatting up. He goes, hey, you're good. If you miss anything, let me know. I'll come back to you later. I go, okay. He goes out, takes, takes like three selfies with kids, talks to two in Spanish, one in English. Says I got to go now. Trots over and takes BP. Hits about four ropes in, in there, then just kind of moves on with his day. And um, when I was in Fort Wayne, and I'll, I'll I'll stop in a minute, was Brandon Valenzuela, who's a catcher we've known for years. There, he made a, a really good comment. He said, you know, he doesn't think like a lot of kids do at that age because when you're a young Latin kid, you get signed at 16 and you get all this money. And you see all this money more than your family has and this, you just think you haven't made. He doesn't think like that. He knows what he has in front of him. He just thinks mm-hmm. this is just the start. And then Brandon goes, and he got a lot of money, you know, 5.6, right? Yeah. 5.6. And he's just very under control. So we have Kevin charity. One of our writers is going out there on Friday to Sam. I think David J is going to be out there on Saturday. I should be out there in July. Big Mark and I are going to go see San Antonio, which should be, um, should be some good barbecue. And mm-hmm. then uh, after that, uh, we'll, we'll have plenty of coverage on Ethan Salison. And the first dining spot in Elsinore that you go to is? There's a, a cafe, uh Brit Cafe, which is pretty good. And then as someone who's who's from San Diego who misses in and out a lot, I, I go there. And I mean, there the whole argument about what's better, five guys are in and out. <laughs> a complete idiotic argument it's not even close i'm still too much of a californian on that there's still that little bit of east coast in me and and i you know i i eat a lot more in and out than i do five guys i can yes. tell you actually last time i went to five guys but there's still that east coast in me that's like i don't know it's a good burger and, and, yeah. and a generous portion of fries too i think if you're if you're going fries versus fries i mean there's no argument right i mean it's five guys but you can say yeah, what you want. It's just burger. awful greasy. A place too that Big Mark and I like going in Texas is is Whataburger is very Whataburger's different good. In Texas yeah. than is I, an, oh really? Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to hit that when I'm in Peoria. The place where I hit when I was on our way out of Peoria that I've been wanting to go to for a long time as we quickly get off track is Culver's. Oh, Midwest yeah. spot that uh, you know, like everything, migrates to Peoria at some point. It's very very good. Hadn't had it for a long time and I enjoyed it. It's okay. Yeah, I've had it in Indiana. So it wasn't <laughs> bad. Yeah. Um. Back to Salas as, as much as we could talk about uh, dining okay. across America for yes. the entire episode. What, one thing, and you mentioned his poise, and you know, he showed highlights the other night and you know, talked about his age and, and all that. Yeah, uh, and even our anchors, I think, commented, and this is just kind of watching you know, grainy minor league video that's posted on Twitter and repurposed for TV, kind of mentioned like the poise and the maturity, like, ah, oh, that kid doesn't look 16. And I think that's what came across when he was he was talking to reporters. You know, this wasn't like a shy or overwhelmed kid. He had a, a great sense of himself, looked comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that is the pedigree. Maybe that is, you know, all the family members that have been or, or likely will be at some point in the bigs. Um, but he's just he is. I mean, you that phrase gets tossed around a lot, but he is built different and um I guess it's no mistake you have that level of maturity and, you know, it shows up not just kind of in the way he plays, but the way he carries himself. And that that seems to be a, a big part of the package as well. 
Well, since I talked to him for 10 minutes, I think I can just qualify to speak on his whole life. But I mean, when, when I talked to him, he was that way. And he, <clears throat> there was not one guy that I talked to on the Padres development side. And we talked about five or six of those guys who wasn't really impressed. Thing too is they got another catcher down there who's probably going to be in the Arizona Complex League who was a fourth-round pick, uh, Lamar King, who came really far this year too. And so that's going to be a position of strength for the Padres going up because you're going to see King at ACL. You're going to see Salas at Lake Elsinore. I think Villar will probably be moved up in about a a month i mean probably you're gonna ease salas in you're not gonna say okay you're gonna go behind the dish for five times a week and dh1 i mean they're gonna keep it a little slow and then valenzuela's had a really nice bounce back year at fort wayne and you know he'll probably go up to san antonio and you'll you know brett sullivan and kevin and the new guy they just got for el paso kevin wiki i think i'm gonna mispronounce that so they should they should be fairly strong. Valenzuela is actually having a very good year with uh with the ten caps. It's certainly not been the case. I mean, recent history with Padres and developing catchers that hasn't exactly right. been um a, a strength of theirs. With, with a couple other things that you know in your Salas piece that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, major league ready defensively. Yeah, but you know I think the comparison I can make a little bit is when Baseball America used to do more feature pieces, I wrote two features on Austin Hedges. I wrote one on him in Fort Wayne and one on him in El Paso. And when I saw Hedges, Hedges was really good defensively. And I mean, Jason McLeod at the time, who was running the Padres draft with Jed Hoyer said, you know, you could put Hedges up in a double A game right now before he even played. And probably in six months, he could catch major leagues. The thing is, he, he McLeod thought he would eventually hit. But there was a lag between the bat and the defensibility, which we see you now. Say. Yes. But, you know, he said the, the problem the Padres are going to have, he said, we're going to have is we can't promote him when the glove's ready and the bat's not. So you're going to have to show some discipline. And the Padres didn't. Hmm. Um, with with Salas, you know, the he loves to catch, but the bat, the bat is very real. The bat is much, much better than Hedges ever was. And 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 that one in the in the piece had mentioned you know defense ahead of the bat and so yeah, if you're if you are very raving about what he can do offensively the swing is obviously beautiful and you mentioned his approach earlier and just kind of having a a a um, a clear picture of his strike zone and where he can and can't do damage I mean uh, to to hear all that and then but he's actually better defensively and perhaps even majorly ready defensively like that's saying a lot. Well, here's a tidbit. I mean, I, a couple guys with the Padres told me this when I was in, I think it was in El Paso, one or two of them were there about how advanced he was. He was the one who caught Musgrove on a rehab. And he was the one, mm. and the guy said, he was the one telling Joe what he was missing on. And Joe was listening to him. Okay. So you got to kind of think about that is, you know, he has a lot of respect from those, those guys. And as far as he doesn't look 16, you know, he, if you get close up, you can see it in his face. And sure. you know, he's got a U.S. birth certificate, so we can just get that out of the way. And when you <laughs> see his father, his father's six four. His mom's about five nine or five ten. He's I'm not small nearly, Yeah, I'm I'm a just a shade under six three. He's at least six two and a half, a solid one ninety. Hmm. He's gonna grow some more, and he just has a re- and you watch him. He just has a re- at the plate. Just has a really good idea of what he's trying to do. Yeah, that's what it gets to me. And and the the Musgrove point illustrates another interesting point from your piece is that he makes people better. Oh, yeah. Which uh, 16 years old. I don't know if I was elevating anybody's performance when I was at anything when I was 16 years old. So to have that effect on the people around you, uh, much less like, you know, uh, other professionals that are older and have more seasoning. um, That's that's not easy to do. Well, Reed, if you go to Baseball America, a friend of mine, Kyle Glazer, I thought wrote a really nice article today on him. And at the very end, you know, he has this quote where he's, you know, it's amazing. It's 16. It's, he's going to be 17, he's 17 today, yeah. where he's going, you know, I was glad to get the hit out of the way because now we can really focus on the team and I want to win a championship tier. And that's what I'm all about winning, you know, compared to most people who probably would have been myself going, yes, I am the man. I, you know, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a, 
but as I said, he has he has a really good understanding that this is just part of what he's trying to do. And yeah, there's been a lot of guys that they've taken that they've given a lot of money to in the international market that, you know, it hasn't always been the case. You see some guy comes in like it used to be in Fort Wayne. You see a guy be excited to see signed. He'd be about 45 or 50 pounds overweight. I mean, they had Mm -hmm. one guy, I remember they had to lock the ice cream cabinet down because he was (laughs) taking too much of it. Uh, 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 Yeah, he's, he's good. And um, the thing too, if transition slightly away is, you know, there's 30, which you should really look at if you're following this, if you're not some geek who's like myself doing Excel spreadsheets on what the Padres picked are and got, I understand that. I'm okay. But if you want to know how good the system is, there's 30 teams. You should look at what the top overall 100 prospects are. For San Diego, you can make a pretty good argument that Jackson Merrill is pretty much a consensus guy in the top 20 or 25, depending who you go to. Dylan Lesko is picked in the in the bottom 50, but still, he's a lot of talent. Salas is obviously going to be a part of that. The guy we're going to talk about in a little bit is Robbie Snelling and Lake Elsinore and probably Jairo Ariarte. San Diego could, by the end of the year, you know, if they don't trade anybody, they could have five, maybe six guys, you know, in the top 100 out of 30 teams. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, Salas, I want to say like number 86, according to MLB Pipeline. Um, and uh, yeah, Kyle Glazer, friend of the podcast. So make sure to check out that piece. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, first 2006 born player, uh, first 16 year old in the low A ranks since uh, Julio Arias in 2013. Right. Yeah. And the first position player in, in quite a bit longer um so uh it's pretty incredible what he's doing um i think it was you that mentioned or maybe it was somebody else um pudge rodriguez the last teenager to mm-hmm. debut in the bigs as a catcher uh in the early 90s yeah he was um, 19 i'm not sure if that was me or one of like our guys but yeah he was yeah he was pretty could we could, could he, we be in that could we be in that territory? I mean, uh, looking ahead, you know, he's obviously turning 19 June 1st of 2025. Uh, I, you well, know, one thing I've liked that the Padres have done this year is, and um, is they've, they've kind of dialed things back a little <laughs> bit, you know, they've, they've just, they've put people where they kind of belong and let them stay there and move them up. Because, you know, the thing about, AJ Preller, when you talk to him, his thing is always, is, is this guy a championship player? And, you know, where AJ was right was looking at someone like Fernando Tatis, who played pretty much a, a little bit more than half a year at double A. Mm-hmm. And he, if it had been someone like me, I probably would have said he should be at El Paso for a couple months and call him up. He said no. And he was right on that. Other guys, I think he was kind of wrong on. I think CJ Abrams was a guy that they kind of rushed a little bit and you could kind of see flaws in this game. You know, Ryan Weathers is finally starting to come around, but that's a big jump. I mean, there's re there's a reason there are different levels of the minors and Jackson Merrill kind of got off to a bit of a slow start. He's hitting well. Now Mm. they want to see him get the ball in there a little bit more pull side power, which he, he never saw that many inside inside fastballs at, you know, at Severna park, Maryland uh, with that type of velocity. So it's good he was there and not, as some people said, put him up to start in San Antonio because what would have happened if he got off to a slow start in San Antonio? Oh, we rushed him. Oh, we did this. Yeah. Now we got to send him back down. That gets his confidence. Jackson Merrill's 20 years old. He's exactly where he's supposed to be. He's far ahead of where he's supposed yeah. to be. He's a sophomore. He'd be a sophomore in college. He's, you know, he's a pretty, I think he's a very good player. I think he's still the number one player in the system, but there's some things to work on. And Jackson would be the first to tell you that too. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up kind of the, the Salas, uh, discourse, yes. what, um, this, we're not going to ever really wrap this up but this, for this, for, for this he, particular episode. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna, he is probably here. I, I know someone will tweet this out or whatever, but he's probably yeah, going to do it. Even, let me, let me, let me, I'm going to go ahead and get Twitter open I'll just quote you on yeah. it. Go ahead. There you go. He's probably, he'll probably be the most exciting prospect since that days. You know, wow. this is that type of thing around him. And but you gotta remember it took Tatis a little bit of time at Fort Wayne to get it started. Yeah. You know? 
Because yeah. when he came over from the White Sox, I mean, we, and this still makes me, this still makes me throw up on my mouth a little bit. As David J went over to the Arizona Complex League, and all of us put Hudson Potts as a top guy, and David actually saw him. And he said, you know, if he can stop chasing the slider, he's going to be someone that you really are going to watch. And, you know, Tatis struggled a little bit in April, and then he just turned it on in Fort Wayne and was something else. But Ethan comes here with, you know, he had a great press conference, mm. fluent English, you know, his Spanish is his Spanish is good, is very good, but it's not the same level as English is. He says all the right things. He gets off to a red heart hopped start. Gets, you know, anytime we mention Salas, I mean, our just likes and mentions just go <laughs> out of the chart. We we love it too, you know. So uh, he's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. I just had you on to talk, Salas, just so we can get our numbers up a little bit. So I appreciate that. Hey, I'm cool. <laughs> we all do what we got to do. Uh, a couple, uh, a couple names that have been thrown around on Twitter uh, from folks that uh, heard that we were talking today. Uh, Jorge Onya. Got anything on Jorge Onya? Jorge Onya is out in San Antonio. He was one of the guys who the Padres signed in 2016 out of Cuba. And they gave him seven million dollars, and then it was double the penalty. It was fourteen million. He made the major leagues briefly in twenty twenty. He hit like about one forty in April. He's he's doing better now, but you know that's a that's a, I mean he's a nice guy, but it's it's a long long way from a left field only guy. And when when he was sold, when he was signed. And he was sold to us. It was like, well, this is a guy that can play both right and left and maybe a little bit of center. And I think David Jay and I were out in spring training. We saw one game and we go, well, there's no way he can play center field. <laughs> but it's it kind of goes back. And it's a really interesting thing is uh, the guys they signed in 2016, you know, Adrian Morahone and anyone that's heard me on podcasts or on Darren's show has just heard me for years talking about how good he is and they can all throw it back in my face going, well, where is he? I mean, he's always had trouble staying healthy when he's on. He's very good, but you know, it's kind of the interesting thing when you bring on prospect guys like myself, we're talking about what we see, what someone can do and what they're capable of. But as mm -hmm. someone like you, you know, who covers the major league team, especially you're looking at a position player, what's value to you is what someone can do over 140 games. And, you know, that's the part that gets kind of, tricky about development and that and a lot of the things i think it's going to come out of you know when we had the shutdown and the alternate site was we started seeing guys who could do things occasionally as compared to what they can do on a prolonged basis like how the minor league season is now like these guys are starting a game tonight they're going to play tuesday through sunday that means probably during the morning they're going to have some guy come by they're going to do a various drills and instructs instruction lift weights then have, you know, infield, batting practice, and then play a game, you know? So, I mean, if you can do – and you can put up numbers after doing that on, like, April through mid-September, it's a pretty good sign you're going to be good as compared to, well, he had a 420-foot home run, and then what, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the part that – and I understand from a fan standpoint, I'm a longtime Padres fan like everybody else, that we kind of want to – we all want some some guy that's going to come in, step up, and be the next Tatis. Uh, this is a name that I admittedly not familiar with, and maybe that's because he's yet to actually sign with anybody. But he was a favorite of the Padres um, as an international uh, signee, uh, Leo Devries. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. You got anything I, on Leo? I, I well. And and Rich, a buddy Rich on, on Twitter was was curious. Is there anything to be made of him scrubbing Padres related content off his Instagram? That's very much where we are in, in this current age. Um, you know, if, I'd have if, to check with uh I'd have to check with my source, Miserable Padre fan, Eric, to, to have a better idea on that. <laughs> yeah. He, always he, always he, concerning when somebody scrubs, you know, a team team's content from their social media platform. And so um well, I lost yeah. a bet to him and his buddy Danny Ortiz when I told him they were idiots that C.J. Abrams would uh, break camp with with the Padres last year. And the bet was over dinner, 
and I never saw two fat guys eat more Korean <laughs> fried chicken in my life than what they did that day. So tell me to be humble. I've heard that he's the guy that they were all pretty confident he was going to come over there. But, of course, you can't officially sign him, so no yeah. one is going to say anything to me on the record. As far as him scrubbing that, <laughs> my guess would be that maybe the Padres told him to calm down a little bit on that. But that's yeah. optimistic. <laughs> From what I understand, those agreements when they have in place are pretty, pretty solid. But we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we got about 20 minutes to go. Let's mm -hmm. um, let's scroll down the list here. Uh, you you mentioned Merrill. Uh, you mentioned, right. you know, he's he's where he needs to be. Got off to a slow start. I think his average has gone up about 40 points in the last yeah. few weeks. And so he's a guy that's that's heated up. Um, anything else to add on on him? How th the season has kind of gone from him? Interactions you guys have had anything along those lines? Yeah, you shouldn't really judge anything in the Midwest League the first month. It's about 30 degrees. Guys are freezing. They're coming out of Arizona. Merrill also had a really bad – when I was out there in – got a couple of weeks ago, he – at the end of May, he was still battling a really bad stomach bug. So he, uh, all the Padre guys were out there. They didn't get to see him for the whole series. Hmm. So he's finally healthy. And, you know, remember he only played 45 games last year in the Cal League. So, yeah, I think he's doing fine. He's probably going to hopefully see a little more power. And if he stays in in there the whole time, you know, I'll be fine with that. The other guys on my trip to Fort Wayne that were interesting were two pitchers I thought were really good. If uh, Derek was here, he could he would just be raving about Iriarte because that was just one of the other guy days. I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the few days Derek came back and slummed it with us on the backfields. Yeah, sure. So, so we'll give him a little bit of grief there. Ariarte is like 21 years old from Venezuela. He has uh, just this really good rising fastball. Thing comes in about night, touches 98, and he sits around like 94, 96. Big thing with him last year, Nelson, was he didn't really have command of it or control. That's changed a lot this year. His slider's been and picked up a lot. His changeup even comes at 90 miles an hour. Valenzuela says a lot, and he even likes teasing guys who come up. He said, hey, everything's going to be hard at this at bat. Fastball's hard. <laughs> slider's hard. And that so he's been impressive. Another guy that was really good, he doesn't look like physically he should be able to throw that hard, is Adam Mazur, who was, hmm. I think, a third-round pick out of Iowa, was from South Dakota State. We should have an interview with him coming up next couple of days when I get that transcribed. He's about 6'2", 180. He was another guy. He was up around 96, 97. Has a has a really good slider. His curves coming back. His changeup's impressive. They have some very good pitching at um, at Fort Wayne. That, that will definitely be worth watching. Also, there's a couple guys, position players. Nathan Marella from Cal. He's one of the leaders in in the Midwest League in a variety of offensive categories. Left-handed um, first baseman can play a little bit of left. Marcos Castañon, who has led the, who broke Tatis's low A record for home runs last year in the Cali, had 23 bombs. And also uh, Jacob Marcy, who's, who kind of reminds me of Trent Grisham in that he just gets incredible jumps in center field. And he doesn't look like some long, lanky burner of a center fielder, but I mean, he catches about everything that's hit out there. So I was pretty impressed with him too. Yeah. So, so there could be some some starters coming up in the ranks um, in the years to come because, again, I mean, you talk about areas where the Padres could could use a little bit of help. Is yeah. you know they've obviously they traded for Musgrove, they traded for Snell, they traded for all these guys, Darvish. Um, but you know when they run in these situations, twenty twenty one being a prime example where it's like, man, if there was a guy in Double A AA or Triple A who's knocking on the door right now, we sure could use him. And they haven't really had that guy. Um, obviously, you know, Gore came and went. Ryan Weathers has been around, um, but maybe there's 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 some help to come in the couple years, the next couple years, and and maybe that's a, a source of. Uh, some excitement or uh, peace of mind for Padres fans that potentially there could be some big league caliber arms on the way. Is that, is that fair to say? I think you'll see two guys get promoted. San Antonio, Ryan Bergert, who's a very, another, who's had a great month of May and five starts had a one for an ERA and Valenzuela who we talked about, but as of this taping, <laughs> as of right now on in triple a and double a, 
there's not much. And the guy I was on last time with you guys, I was talking about how much I liked Jay Groom, who had a great spring, mm -hmm. but he struggled mightily with his command. And he's given up a lot of walks. And PCL is not a forgiving league if you are not on top. There's not a whole lot. And, you know, especially with Campusana getting hurt, Eggy Rosario was someone who, yeah. you know, could have helped out. And I still think Groom can turn it around. In San Antonio, there's Jackson Wolf and not not a whole whole lot else. Uh, Duncan Snyder, I like probably more than the rest of the guys, but that's kind of a real reach. But, you know, as I said, at the A-ball level, um, I like Elsinore and Fort Wayne. You can make a pretty good argument. There's at least five or six guys that are in the top 100 of all the baseball. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's good. I mean, yeah. you know, they traded the guys to get guys like Darvish. They traded the guys to get Musgrove, Snell, Soto. And, you know, that was a, a risk worth taking as far as I was concerned. Uh, Dylan Lesko, how's he progressing? Had the UCL, uh, what was it, last spring? You know, yeah. uh, end of his senior season. And um he he seemed to be one of those guys around the draft like hey if if you don't mind weather and that you you could get a stud and um Padres obviously had had no issues doing that and oh, yeah. so uh what uh what have you guys heard about just kind of his progression and and how he's projecting going forward well I was lucky when I was out there in spring I caught him on his very first day he threw off the mound so that was in late March and from what we've heard is he's I think he's facing live hitters now, and he's doing pretty good. The guy that was the fourth-round pick from Duke that had it was slightly ahead of him is Henry Williams, who actually has looked pretty good out there for the storm. So I think Lesko, they're going to be very cautious with him. My guess is he's going to be in ACL on a very restricted schedule coming back. Maybe he would get a brief look at Elsinore. I don't. I don't think he would, but that's just pure speculation right now. But the guy everyone is excited about is, and David uh, Jay got up to see him is, is Robbie Snelling. Yeah. Who was a guy who was uh, going to go to the university of Arizona as a two way player in both football and in baseball. And then he decided that he wanted to just stick with baseball and get an education. So he went, moved over to LSU. I'm an Arizona mm -hmm. state guy, so I don't miss a, a shot at U of A. <laughs> And then uh, he, the Padres gave him about three million reasons not to go, mm. and he's just been outstanding at, uh, at the, with a storm. So I think he's allowed like three runs and seven starts, and you know he's just been he has got a mid nineties fastball, a really improved changeup and slider. He's another guy when you talk to him, you know, someone who has a teenage daughter. You're listening to him talk and talk about his choices and what he wants to do, how he has to work. And you're going, where, 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 what, why can't my kid have like half of this? You know, real nice I mean, firm handshake. Yeah, firm handshake looks you in the eye, says yes, sir, and all this stuff when he's talking <laughs> to you. And and the thing about him is he's just he's a really exceptional athlete because he was, I think he had 21 home runs as a right-handed hitter. In a perfect game home run hitting contest. He was one of the better hitters in the state of bat at that. And when he was in high school, he was a two-way star in football, he was a quarterback and outside linebacker. I thought he was funny when I chatted with him. He goes, Well, I thought more colleges wanted me as a linebacker. And being a linebacker and pitching, I don't think really mixed. So I thought pitching would probably be the best way to go. He's someone who's gonna throw probably about a hundred innings this year. And I wouldn't be surprised. And I wouldn't have thought this at the beginning of the year. He's someone who I could see in Fort Wayne um, for the second half. He, he's been that good. Mm. And they mm. have a they, the Storm have a nice team. They have a good pitching staff too, and there's a lot of guys to watch there. So take a drive up to I-15 and, and go yeah, see. There you go. Yeah, uh, 098 whip, uh, 114 ERA, and 31 yeah. and two-thirds, 32 strikeouts. Um, and he's an, he is an, a nice kid. That I think David made the point too when he saw him. He goes, you know, they got to be two runners on, and you just saw the football part of him just kick in. He just kind of. So I was I was going to ask you about yes. that because you know, in in just kind of reading the little reports on you know the top thirty site and that sort of thing, you know, people talk about the football background. They talk about like throwing strikes, and he goes at you. And I mm -hmm. wonder if there's some correlation there when you're playing a like hit you in the mouth type of sport. 
you know, you can't be shy and passive when you're playing the game of football, especially if you're, I mean, he was a linebacker, right? Yeah. So um, I wonder if there is that kind of football playing mentality that comes with that sport that maybe he's applying to being a starting pitcher and kind of being a bit of a, a bulldog and a guy that's that's not afraid to go right at you. His dad was a football coach. I think his uncle was too. And so he kind of grew up around that that environment. And they were even a little surprised when he picked baseball. But you know, I think he made the right choice. You know, he even kind of changed his body around. He made the choice after his junior year. So he kind of even kind of leaned out a little yeah. bit more. And he and you know, he's another guy. When you listen to him talk in the interview, he's going, Yeah, you know, my main goal is to get to San Diego to pitch as well, to help my teams. But you know, if I'm I'm not I'm not here to throw 140 innings my first year. Not here to do that. So he really understands and is with the game plan. He worked really hard on getting a quality change up because you got to think about this. If you, know, you and I are high school pitchers and we throw about 95 miles an hour, I would throw 95 all the time. You'd know because I'd have a tattooed on my forehead. I throw 95, you know. And I mean, the thought of throwing a change up just doesn't even kind of enter into these guys' thoughts until they kind of run up against guys that that are pretty good. Yeah. So Snelling is someone really to watch. And also uh, Sammy Zavala, who's a center fielder out there, has a good chance to be a, a top player. He's another guy who's only, I think Sammy's 18 years old. He should be like a senior in high school from Venezuela. So he's a fun guy to watch too. Yeah, uh, you keep kind of um, bringing up guys that are, are next on the list for me. And Zavala uh, is that. And a guy that kind of, I guess two years ago, um, I guess kind of rookie level, but maybe so a little bit more. So last year kind of stood out um, yeah. and, and has seemingly kind of continued that, um, you know, maybe one of those kind of valuable uh, international guys that uh, maybe we, we just know a little bit less about. I mean, somebody like Salas, you know, it's not hard to find information once they sign, but um, a, a guy that maybe we're not so familiar with when, when he signs and then all of a sudden a year or so later, you're like, Oh, this guy could be real. Um, how how does Zavala's, Zavala's fluent English too. He has family in Houston. Really? And so when you talk to him, he has no problems conversing, uh, going back and forth, really good plate discipline has kind of a really interesting leg kick, which they haven't really tried to correct. Cause they said he just has incredible hand eye coordination. That's not something you can really teach or rein in. He got a little leaner this year and he wants to stay in, in the middle of the field. And so he got off to kind of a slow start. He's kind of picked it up back up. The interesting thing about the Padres top three international guys, Salas, um, Lizarraga, Victor Lizarraga, pitcher in Fort Wayne, and Zavellas, they're all fluent in English. And so it's just is such a big thing. And they're, they kind of have an idea about what the minor leagues are about, how they have to work, how they have to work to get where they need to be. Compared to a lot of the guys in 2016, especially the guys from Cuba, I mean, you can't even imagine what a culture shock yeah. that is. I mean, yeah, Morhone is still kind of, I think, dealing with that. I mean, he got $11 million. I mean, that's probably more than about five generations of his family ever made or something like that, you know? And I, I hope that doesn't sound, it's not meant to sound no. rude. It just meant, it just, it's a huge thing where yeah. someone like Ethan Salas, you know, he sees his brother going through this. His dad, yeah. went through, his dad didn't quite make it to the majors. His dad was in the minor leagues. His uncle did. I think his grandfather was too. So he has an idea of what he needs to work on and where he needs to go. You know, compared to Morahone, who was, you know, coming in and totally not really aware of how things are done in professional baseball in the United States. Yeah. Um, with Zavala, um, corner guy, can he stick at center? And and what is kind of the uh, the path look like for him this year and, and projecting ahead to next season? They'll probably keep him in center, I mean, for the time being. He might be more of a corner guy. It's really going to depend upon how well his body develops and how well he can, you know, keep his speed. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how well that big a leg kick is going to work up against pitchers who are a little more advanced who can change more speeds. You know, I think when I was on with Derek one time, we were classifying how you determine what a guy or a dude is. And <laughs> I said, uh, you know, you can, like, 
a guy like Jackson Merrill is a good example. There's a lot of things about Jackson Merrill that, you know, you really like. But, you know, when you get to double A, that's where about everyone who's at that level can play Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. The whole difference on them is how consistent they can be. Yeah. So, you know, how well Jackson's going to be able to adapt when someone can throw something about 95 on his hands and then hit a slider down at about 88, it's really tough to do. So uh, you got plenty of time. We'll get to watch. And as far as Zavala goes, I think he'll probably be in the middle of the field in Lake Elsinore and Fort Wayne for next year too. Uh, how's Eggy doing coming off that ankle? Eggy, the last I heard of him, he was in extended spring and then he should be going out to, uh, El Paso soon. Eggy's a fun guy to talk to, man. Eggy's, Eggy's a different, <laughs> Eggy's a different guy. He, he loves talking. I get, I get to interview Eggy in Spanish. So he, he gets a big kick out of that. <laughs> so uh, I always say, más lento lento, soy un gringo, por favor. He likes that. Uh, but he's, you know, he's, do you, any idea when we'll, we'll kind of see him back in action? I mean, what's, it was not offhand. I don't, I mean, I, I, I've heard, they say I'll be pretty quick. You know, it was a pretty serious injury that he had, you know, Eggy can play second, short and third. I think he's probably other guys are a little higher on Eggy and I am. I think he's pretty much limited to second base. Mm. I'm not as big a fan of him at, at shortstop as others are. Mm. But, uh, you know, the El Paso team right now is an interesting group of uh, guys. They have some pretty good stats by the 20 runs that they, they scored the other night. Uh, yeah, and uh, Glacius, what, uh, matching uh, Tatis with three homers? Yes. Was that last night? Yeah. They have, you know, the thing is, they have a, actually a pretty good bullpen. One guy down there I thought is interesting is um, – Ray Kerr and Tom Cosgrove is someone we've known for a while. It's a lot yeah. of fun to see him come up and, and do yeah. well. And that's, you know, I'm not sure how well, I think Darren asked me this, how well you can really judge offensive stats or pitchers. But one thing is, if you see a guy that's a relief pitcher up there and he's putting up some numbers, <laughs> you, can, you, you can pitch in the Pacific Coast League on any level. That's yeah. impressive. You know, Kerr's a guy who can, Kerr's a guy who's about 6'3 and got if he says he's 185, he's wiry. Yeah. Yeah. That's after a full buffet and that's, or that's after two <laughs> meals at L and J, but uh, he, uh, he can, he can get it up to about 101. And I thought he was a really interesting story too. Yeah. Uh, just a couple more minutes before we got to hop off. Uh, any, did I miss anybody, anybody that um, we should be aware of? Well, the draft's going to come up in uh, early July, which I wish it was more in, in late June. Uh, Lamar King, we talked a little bit about the Arizona Complex League. Snelling, Henry Baez uh, is a pitcher in like Elsinore should keep an eye on. Yeah, that's pretty much it. If you need, if we miss them, you know, definitely go on Mad Friars. Join the dailies right. for free. You can read all about that. And then we have uh, stories on from our travels and interviews with the players, coaches, and some Padre personnel. And for five bucks a month, which only pays for rental cars, hotels, and flights, uh all the rest of us have full-time jobs and you can follow along and hopefully i'll be on at the end of the year to wrap it up on our trips to uh san antonio and lake elsewhere so that money's not going towards like a chicken fried steak the size of uh the well, new bases. I, I was on here once with mark i mean mark's about six eight and about <laughs> 300 pounds so between mark and i eating we would kind of blow the whole budget in about one meal so uh <laughs> Yeah, the chicken fried steak is one of the few times I had to get a child's portion, and that was, <laughs> that was a lot. So, uh, well, definitely read the Salas piece if you haven't already, because I, oh, I found that very, very uh, enlightening, and I learned a lot about him, and, and really encouraging, and gives you, um, you know, it's it's not hard to understand why the excitement will be at Tatis levels when you read uh, read something like that. Yeah, definitely, he's going to be a guy. It's going to be responsible for us getting a lot, a lot more views on our site. But so we, we like it and uh, we look forward to having more on them by then this week. Hopefully do you, uh, since you're out of town, you're in the DC area. Mm-hmm. Do, do the, the Bally thing impact you at all? Are, are you a yeah. MLB subscriber? Uh, yeah. So you're, I mean, you're doing it the same way you always were. Yeah, I did. I went to a couple of the nationals games when the Padres were in town and I was, I think at last time I was on, I was on Darren's show and Derek was a uh, guest host hmm. and I was out there to see Tatis just uh, God destroy things. I, I don't hmm. think I've ever seen anything like that. And he was just impressive as, as, as anything then. That yeah. was a lot of fun. 
uh quickly what was the um discourse like around dc with juan soto back because you know obviously in an at bat by at bat basis we're reevaluating the trade cj abrams homers and mackenzie gore looks pretty good and soto was getting out of his struggles at that point um you know how much does that kind of rage on in dc well they had a big then article the day soto came and they it got a couple guys on the Nats claim to the Washington Post that they wouldn't trade Mackenzie Gore straight up for Soto right now. So I'm not sure if that's true, but the guy, the guy that's going to hurt for Padre fans, I think, in a couple of years is uh, James is, Wood. Yes, James Wood was the last guy. From everything I've heard, it's interesting. From everything I heard, James Wood was the last guy that was in, and I heard they nearly from a couple of guys, here I'll go sources, I go big time media, from a variety of people, I heard they nearly had the deal was going to be Soto for Hassel, Gore, and Abrams because oh, wow. they had seen James Wood and they didn't, yeah, they, he's from DC area yeah. and he's down and they, they weren't that crazy. I remember there was a lot of negativity on James Wood coming out in the sure. draft. Yeah. But the pot, the national scout, you know, was out there in the Cal League and watching a series that James Wood played, called up Rizzo and said, hey, there's no deal unless this kid's involved. Mm, and uh, James just got promoted up to double A. He's in Harrisburg and uh, he's playing in Bowie tonight. And so maybe I'll go out there this weekend and watch there you go. play. See the Bay Sox. Yeah. So he's, he's good. Robert Hassel struggled. Uh, another guy they sent over, Yarlan Su- Su- Susanna, is mm. high A. But yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Padres fan, how I would look at it is you have a window. And so that's yeah. why I was for the trade. If you want to take a shot, they put them, they gave themselves about three years, and you kind of got to do that. It would have been nice to hold on to those guys, but eventually you got to kind of make a decision that you go for it. And they kind of did what Preller said to do. They built up the farm system. And when they decided it was a chance to go for it, they signed some free agents. They made some trades. Sure did. Yeah, you know, like Musgrove trade, I'll go real quick, is the big guy in the Joe Musgrove trade was Hudson Head, a guy the Padres gave $3 million to in the third round, I believe in 2019. I think it was 2019. Hudson never really panned out. He's not even in the top 30 in the Pirates organization right now. And so the, the Padres have been pretty well in identifying guys that can move and then other guys where they know it's going to be a value trade and getting value back. The only trade I ever was a little not that crazy on was the Clevenger one. Other than that, yeah. I can't sit there with hindsight and say, I told you so and all this stuff. Yeah, they're getting yeah. good deals. Yeah. And especially if Juan Soto swings the way he did in the month of May, you feel pretty good about it. Amazing. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much. Always a lot of fun coming on.